Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. How are we doing? The sun is in my eyes. Let's go. We're ready. Um, hey, we, you, we look great. I'm Cam. Uh, great to meet you guys. If I haven't met you, I'd love to. Uh, my wife and I have been here in Columbia for, it seems like, an eternity, um, but it's been the past four years, and we absolutely love this church. We love Trinity so much, and uh, I think you can even feel it or sense it um, as we just do congregational prayer that there's just a Man, there's a spirit of prayer in this place, and we, we just love to be a part of it. Um, anyways, we are in a little series on revival and renewal. Um, so if you're, a, if you're a hype kind of person, this is the series for you. Um, but anyways, I, uh, I played basketball in college, which I start all my illustrations by letting everyone know that I played basketball in college because it's like a fleeting dream. Like it's just becoming less and less of a reality. So I played basketball in college and, uh, well, um, going into like my junior year, I remember my coaches sat me down. We'd always have like end of the year evaluations and they sat me down and they, and they casted this like big vision for me, right? They're like, Hey Cam, a lot of guys from our team left. Basically no one can score the ball. Um, you might be able to have a really good season this year. And, uh, it's like the, always the passive aggressive compliments that coaches give. Um, they, t- they kind of cast this vision, Cam, you could have a really big year this year. And I was like, yeah, let's go. And then they said, but we think there's some things holding you back. And then they went on to just absolutely degrade me for like six months, right? Like just not, six months, not like six minutes, but like from that point forward, just saying, hey, bro, uh, I got a five-year-old daughter at home and you can't guard her at all, right? You couldn't, you couldn't guard water if you fell out of a boat, bro. Um, Cam, I know you're into that church stuff, whatever, like you should probably pray about your defense because that's your only hope. Um, but anyways, right, they had this, they casted this big vision for me, but first they had to say, we think there's something holding you back from accomplishing your purposes. And, and we felt as a church this burden from the Lord to seek renewal and revival, um, kind of starting at the beginning of the year. And this year of all years, 2020, to seek renewal and revival through prayer in 2020. 2020. It's just like a response now. It's like, hey man, how are you? 2020, bro. You know, and, and everyone knows. Like, you don't even have to tell people how you are. Just say the year and you're good. But we, we felt this desire to seek renewal and revival through it. Um, and, and before I even explain, I'm going to explain some of those words here in a second. But I, I, I want to acknowledge that we all come in here in totally different places. 
that, that some of us, we, we hear revival and, and we were here last week and we're just like pumped up about it and we're like waking up at 4 a.m. just to intercede on behalf of everybody. Good. I'm just going to act like that's fine. Um, um, but you're pumped, right? You're just waking up like, let's go. And I also acknowledge that there's people who are coming into this place like you barely rolled in here this morning. And I feel this way in a lot of ways. Like I woke up on Friday morning and my legs just like really hurts. And I thought, did I work out yesterday? And I'm like, no, I haven't worked out since like two weeks ago. Like, why am I sore? And I just realized, man, I'm, I'm carrying stress in my body and I'm tired and I'm worn out and I've had to have some hard conversations. So I know that we come in here in a whole different array of places. And I'm just going to pray right now that the Lord would speak to us individually, that he would meet us where we are today and would invite us into your next step, and our next step as a church body into uh, renewal and even revival. So let's pray. As Casey gets this figured out, we can close our eyes in prayer. Um, Father, we are so grateful for who you are. Um, I have nothing new to say this morning. I have nothing new to offer. Um, but we know that you long to meet with us and we don't need more information this morning or more expertise or any of that, more facts or studies, but we just need your presence. So through your word this morning, through your spirit and your presence, would you meet with us wherever we're at this morning? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So renewal and revival. Some of you are like, yo, that's a foreign language. That is so spiritual. Like, what the heck does that mean? So let me explain what we've been talking about when we say these things. Renewal um, is the ordinary, ongoing work of growth in Christ. It's our n- a normal, ordinary process of becoming more and more like Jesus, experiencing more of his life in our life through the presence of God. Not just obtaining more information, but the Holy Spirit actually changing who we are from the inside out. This is the ongoing, normal process of renewal. Revival is the extraordinary intensification of that renewal. It's, a, it's what we said, or Mark Sayers, the Australian guy, says uh, it's renewal gone viral, right? It's supercharged. Revival is something totally separate from the normal, everyday work, but it's, it's exponential growth. To, to couple the two illustrations from the past couple weeks, uh, renewal is our uh, deep-rooted growth in Christ. It's, it's, it's burying our roots deep as a tree as we become more and more sturdy and stable in Jesus. And revival is that normal, ongoing root work plus rain. And, it, and, 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 and an extra force comes to exponentially grow the church and grow believers um, all together. So I, I sat here last week and I sat in one of these chairs in between, right next to my guy Kaysen and Kaysen's really cool so Jeremy was preaching and I started to tear up and started crying because I just wanted it so much and I'm trying to hide my tears from Kaysen because I don't want him to see me but I, I had this vision as Jeremy was preaching last week like I just want more of that and I just encourage you man uh, go listen to last week's message if you haven't on the podcast go, go check it out um, I, think it's, I think it's really helpful but I, I just remember sitting there thinking and that's what I want, but having the same feeling that something is holding us back from that. Um, and when I grew up, I played, I played football, believe it or not. Uh, I played football. I, I had this dream when I was like a kid, man. I just like loved quarterbacks. Like quarterbacks are just the coolest, man. I just loved them. 
QB1. Like, that's who I want to be. Um, but as I grew, my hands didn't. And, like, I have these tiny little hands on a six-foot-four potty, and it's really hard to play quarterback with little hands. Like, mini, mini ball in the backyard is where I thrive. But, but I eventually had this, like, point where I came. It was, like, eighth grade when I couldn't be quarterback anymore because the ball grew. And I had to change positions. It was brutal. Um, but what happened was I, I got beat out by this guy, so I'm in eighth grade, and I'm forced to, to play a totally different position, play this game at a totally different perspective. And uh, I, I used to just kind of wear, like, the, you know how the quarterbacks get, like, the cool red jersey, and it's like, don't touch him. That's where I loved football, okay? Then I had to play this other position where I had to, like, tackle people and get tackled by people. Because um, before I just would, like, call the play and, like, hand it off to the running back and just, like, like the aura of being the quarterback. But whatever. I remember having this practice. And, like, first practice not being a quarterback. And I got in this, like, head-to-head -head drill. Like, I don't know what the drill is called. Like, tackle drill or something. And I remember our coach being like, all right, like, line up. Tackle drill. Like, let's go. So I line up, and I'm like, what is going to happen here? And the dude across from me, like, absolutely rocks me, right? Like, I just get knocked down. I'm on my back. And I remember looking at my coach like, coach, like, what, what is this? And he said, Cam, you're playing tackle football. Like, what did you expect? And I'm like, not to get tackled. I don't like this right? <laughs> but I, 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 I kind of had this thought that, man, we, we don't ever really know our environment. Like, I was playing tackle football, but I didn't understand that I was playing tackle football because I had a skewed perspective of the game that I was actually playing. And we don't really know our environment until we look at it from another perspective or the real perspective. So, when I want to look at what's holding us back, what I want to do this morning and what I think the scriptures are asking us to do is to, to humble ourselves enough to say, let's look at this thing from a different perspective. Let's look at our environments and see how our environment has changed the way that we see the world and see ourselves and see God. And this current cultural environment, it's best summarizes secularism, right? We, we live in a secular society, a secular culture, as opposed to a primary, primarily religious culture. So we're not a-religious, right? Like we're not anti-religious or anti-God, but, but it's kind of like make your own God. Do, do your own thing. Follow your own heart. Follow your own way. And the highest values of secularism, which I'm, I'm for and we're for, are self-discovery and self-expression and, and, and tolerance of other people. And that's even the reason I say this, because we affirm so many things with our culture. There's a lot of things that our culture is after that we're like, yeah, we're here for that too. But there's also some things that, that, that we have allowed to shape the way that we see the world. And a lot of it is subconscious or unknowingly. James K. Smith says that the church in a lot of ways has unwittingly absorbed the tendencies and the viewpoints of the world and has taken on the same beliefs and the practices of the world. Secularism's self-centered, disenchanted view of the world, it cripples our faith. And we can't move towards renewal or even revival while still holding to the same secular worldview. Again, I want to say we affirm a lot of it, but we can't allow it to shape every, the way that we see everything. See, secularism, it views the physical world as the reality. And the spiritual, invisible world is just this separate, distant place. So it's formed us, that has formed us to be really trained in doctrine and theology and defending the faith with apologetics, but not know how to pray or even Sabbath or things that are really spiritual but are non-measurable. We end up viewing things like baptism 
or communion as just these mere symbols or rituals rather than this spiritual expression of life with Jesus, that there's something bigger going on. And what the passage that we read this morning points out and teaches us is is one of the deepest effects that secularism has had on us, right? It says, for our struggle, our struggle, at least it's like acknowledging that we have a struggle, but it's saying, here's our struggle. It's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. So, man, this morning, I really believe that the Lord is wanting to, to wake us up, to open our eyes, to see what's actually happening. That there's something in the way of renewal and revival, and revival, but it's not just our lack of discipline or information or knowledge or wisdom, but there's a spiritual enemy who is looking to seek and kill and destroy us. See, what the author is saying is that we have real struggles and battles, and we even have people that we're up against, but he wants to teach us that there's more than that. That there is a spiritual world all around us that you and I were basically always just oblivious to. And the danger with that worldview is that we get tied down into the places that we need to grow, the places of shame and fear from the people that we need to distance ourselves from, the people that we want reconciliation with, and we're tempted to see all of that just in the flesh, not acknowledging that there's something beyond that and behind that thing. And I'm not trying to Jesus juke you here, but it's obvious that one of the schemes of the devil is to convince you that there are no schemes of the devil. And all of us need to grow in these places because none of us naturally go there. Because this worldview, it numbs us to what's actually happening. It numbs us to the idea that we could actually get help from God. And it makes us wide open and exposed to the onslaught of the evil one over and over and over again. It explains why we're stuck. It explains why for months and years we've had the same struggle and the same problem. Like we're not, we're not dumb, but there's been a logic that's been whispered in your ear again and again and again, and it's not just your own mind, but there's actually a force behind that. So I think this passage underneath it all is trying to open our eyes to the reality that you and I, we have an enemy who is evil and who wants nothing more than to seek you and kill you and destroy you. So a quick disclaimer before I get into this. C.S. Lewis has a really good paradigm as we step into spiritual dynamics and spiritual warfare and these things. Um, because I don't know how a lot of you come in here, but, but he says we have two temptations when we, when we read this passage or when we step into these things. One is to absolutely go all out and just think, man, there is a, there is a demon, there is, there is a devil behind everything. He says behind every bush. Like, I just got caught speeding. Like, not me. It's the devil, right? Like, Cam, why, Cam, why, why is the room a mess? Satan, babe. I don't know. The evil one, right? Like, we have this, we have this potential, and those are kind of some jokes, but, but there's definitely a reality there that draws, there's a, there's a fear that we could just blame everything there. But there's a, there's a flesh dynamic that we have that we participate in, okay? So there's one, there's one pitfall. The other pitfall, which, I, which I'm far more afraid of, is that you just dismiss it altogether that we are completely unaware and oblivious to the spiritual life and spiritual world at all. And I think there's a, there's a middle ground right there that I want to come into. 
I don't want to play this game and not realize that we are playing tackle football. We're not playing two-hand touch here. We're not playing put on the red jersey, let's safely go through life, but we are in a battle and there are real forces at play. But before we get into some of that, let's talk more about who is this devil? Who is the enemy that you're talking about, Cam? And he comes into the scene like right away in the story, right? We see a good and perfect God in Genesis chapter one, right? He, he makes everything just by his breath. He just, everything is created. It's perfect. It's good. He makes man and woman in his own image. He's, he gives them a purpose and a calling and to steward over all of creation, to have perfect relationship with him. And we see uh, everything our secular culture wants, right? We see this utopia. Everything is good, right? Relationships with each other, right? Relationships with creation, right? Relationships with God. There is no anxiety, no fear, no uh, nothing Uh, wrong or out of place or disjointed. Everything is good and perfect and true. And then this character steps onto the scene. He plunges himself into the biblical biblical narrative. And it's really interesting how he does it, right? God gives, in in all of his call to steward creation, he gives one restraint, right? He says, don't go eat from, from that tree. Let's just acknowledge he puts the odds like in our favor, like a lot, right? It's like you can do basically anything but that tree. And then this character comes in, and, and how he comes in can be debated and talked about, but, 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 but I want to look at more of his heart more than how he comes in, okay? But he comes in, and he, he basically tempts Eve with this thought. He says, did God really say? So boom, there it is, the satanic attack on humanity. So crazy, right? But Dallas Willard says this. He says, Satan came at Eve, not with a stick, but with an idea. He plunges himself into the narrative, not with this crazy, demonic attack, but with an idea. He attacks us through ideas. And ideas are the primary force that helps us to believe what we believe. Ideas are the things that inform our thoughts, and it's what's shaping the way that we view the world. Right? Like swiping through the gram or spending time on Facebook, they seem meaningless and like not very powerful. But now there's books and documentaries. We all saw the Netflix one. We're freaking out. Where we're convinced that these things are shaping us and forming us and contributing to why and how we see the world because it's all about ideas. And it's not an accident that these are the way that things are. Right? It's, it, it's, it's not an accident that when you're swiping and you see this picture, this glorious picture of your friends or somebody that you have a distant relationships with and everything looks perfect in their life and then an idea pops in your head to say, that's not me. And you start to compare and you start to feel insecure. It's the idea that prompts all of the negative thoughts. And we have an enemy who is putting ideas in our place. Jesus and his teaching on the devil, he says this when speaking about him, when he, the devil, lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is the father of lies. His little small lies and implanted ideas that teach and train us to think the way that we think, he's a liar. It's who he is. It's what he does, and it all stems from him. And this is why we need our Bibles, right? Like not just to check a box to say, man, I got my 20-minute quiet time in the morning, check, got it, let's go. But because we are in an all-out war of what is shaping our minds. 
Reading our Bibles pulls us into reality. That's one of my favorite definitions of God's truth, right? It's not just this like the other thing on the other side of grace for like the grace and truth people, but it's God's reality. It's the things and it's the way that things actually are. And the scriptures are the, are the force that allow us to pull ourselves back into the real story, the real narrative that are, are not allowing our minds to be shaped and deceived where we live this delusional, deceptive life, but it pulls us back into reality. It's why Jesus says, abide in my word and you will know the truth. And the truth, he says, will set us free. Seeing things the way that God intended us to see them, to see reality for what reality is, is the freedom that Jesus talks about. This is true freedom. And the enemy is opposed to our freedom. And this comes in, in, in the form of what, what the Bible would call sin, right? But one of my favorite definitions for sin, it, it, it comes from an old saint from a long time ago, but he says, sin at its core is just not believing that what God has for you is for your deepest happiness. And that's what's underneath all sin. It's an idea that what God has for you is not for your deepest joy and happiness. Right, and, and we know that. Like nobody sins out of duty. No, nobody's like, yo, it's 7 p.m. I should probably, yep, trying to, trying to figure this new discipline out. 7 p.m., let's go lust tonight. Let's get, let's get it going, right? Like nobody says that. But we're duped at the beginning and that's what leads to sin. We sin because we have this idea that this is what's best for me, that this and this moment will make us Happy. That's the root of all sin is not believing that God loves you, that God has your deepest joy in mind. And in a lot of ways, this was when Jesus came onto the scene, especially in the gospel of Mark, this is his call of what he would call the gospel. He would say, repent and believe the gospel. Repent, which, which could be translated, rethink your thinking. Change your perspective. Change the way that you think and believe the good news and trust the good news. He says, change the way you're thinking and trust that God loves you and trust the good news of the gospel. That's a daily thing that we are called to do as we walk in renewal, that we trust, we, we rethink our thinking, that we see what is shaping me right now. I acknowledge that there's a force coming against my mind to try to convince me in any way possible that God doesn't love me and have his best for me. And then I trust that he does. The battle that we're actually in is to trust the good news. And this is even what Paul says in Ephesians 6, in another way, but it's what he says right before he gets into all of the armor of God. He says, the, the, the one kind of command he gives is, stand firm. That's the invitation of the passage. In his big thing where he says, hey, we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers of the air. His invitation is just, stand firm. So maybe Jesus' renewal in your life, maybe Jesus' ongoing work in your life doesn't look the way that you think it does. Maybe our fight and battle and spiritual warfare doesn't look the way that we would think it is. Maybe it's less going and less striving and less doing and more standing and more trusting. See, because as, as people who have received the free grace and mercy of Jesus, we, we fight from victory. We don't fight for victory. 
that 1 John 3 says that, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Not you, not me, but Jesus came. That's, that's the good news of the gospel, that he came to destroy the works of the devil, that through his life and death and resurrection, in the ultimate turn of the tables, he destroyed death and sin on the cross, and then he defeated death as he rose again, fulfilling everything he said he was going to do. Because you and I were no match for sin. We're no match for the temptations. We're no match for the schemes of the devil. Our only hope is that we stand firm in Jesus. And this might sound weird, but the other night, just at, at prayer night, I was, I just had this, while we were praying, I just had this picture pop into my head and it was like a really vulnerable picture, but I just had this like random picture of me, like literally in, like in the fetal position. And I felt like God was just inviting me and saying, Kim, this is how you fight spiritual warfare. You rest in me. You just let me cover you. You get down where you are weak and hopeless and powerless. And you say, I need you. It's this invitation to actually allow God to be our strength and our refuge. It's to be weak and allow him to be God. It's to stand firm and say, I trust that you are the one. And maybe revival, the intensification of this process, maybe it doesn't look that much different than this. Maybe the way that, that God is inviting us into this is not just, not just in the renewing aspect of our minds in, in a small sense, but even in a huge, mighty, big sense. Revival, Duncan Campbell, uh, Jeremy mentioned this revival a couple weeks ago, but there's this revival in the Hebrides, um, just a small little island off the coast of Scotland that just had a, a, a crazy work of God where, where people were literally dry, like, they just, they, they were on their way to the bar and then all of a sudden they're like, I think I just need to go to the church. And they went to the church and people were just being saved like crazy. Like it was a, just a mighty work of God. And, and, and the main kind of preacher and pastor, uh, Duncan Campbell, as he was kind of reflecting back on what, it all, what all had happened, he, he said this, revival is a revelation of Jesus. Not an intellectual agreement, but, but an actual encounter with the risen Lord. It's, it's, it's a bunch of people encountering Jesus. And this is the primary purpose of the devil, to keep us from Jesus. His goal is not to make you bad or sad or angry. His goal is to keep you from Jesus. And if we do not see that we have an enemy here, it totally affects the way that we live. John Tyson says this, a Satanless gospel leads to a prayerless life, right? Because we, we pray where we see that we need God to break in and break through. We've said this again and again during this series that revival begins as we come into an end to ourselves. And we tend to think that we can just kind of figure this out, that we can, we can, we can work and move. Maybe if we just throw a new strategy or a new program, maybe it'll work. We tend to think if we have better books or more research or better sermons or better outreach, we can do this thing. But 2 Corinthians 4 says that the God of this world, referring to the enemy, right now is blinding the unbelievers. And a few verses back, it even says that he is, there is a veil over their eyes from, from them seeing the glory of who Jesus is. So the reality is, and I, and I love this is what we prayed for this morning, the reality is that your coworkers and your friends and your parents and your family members who, who don't know Jesus, they don't just need to figure it out. 
but they have a real enemy who is covering their eyes from seeing Jesus for who he really is. And as we see Jesus for who he really is, we cannot help but respond the way that we are supposed to respond. That is the battle. And when we see it this way, we are left with one option, one response, and it's to pray. It makes me think of one of our prayer convictions, right? Um, from this church, we have, we have a couple of different things that we just like really believe. And one of them is this, that Satan fears a praying church. He doesn't fear a planning church. He doesn't fear a church that, 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 that is super smart. He fears a praying church. He doesn't fear better apologetics or more degrees. He fears a praying church. He fears people who bend their knees and cry out for God. And it's probably why Paul ended his whole charge this way. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Stand firm and pray in the Spirit. This is a phrase that Paul uses to describe prayer that is attentive to the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit. I've heard some dismissive teaching on the Holy Spirit in my life. Like I've heard, uh, I've heard a lot about God and the Father. I've heard a lot about Jesus. But in some ways, I've had this forgotten God that I just, for some reason, have no understanding. And I just have kind of I've avoided in my past the Holy Spirit. I know a lot of us have similar experiences, and it's almost like in Acts 19 when, these, when Paul shows up to these disciples who are preaching the gospel and growing a church, and he says, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, who? What? The Holy what? No. That's a lot of our experiences. But the Holy Spirit is the active presence of God in our lives. And unless we see that we are in a spiritual war, we miss, unless we see the spirit world for what it really is, we'll miss our actual power that we need, the Holy Spirit. All right, the scriptures say that, that the weapons of our warfare, they're not of this world, but the weapons, uh, the weapons that we fight with are the weapons of, they have this divine power to demolish strongholds. And without that understanding, we don't pray. Jesus, in his teaching on the Holy Spirit, he said, he will, the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me. Our only hope for us to see Jesus for who he really is is that the Holy Spirit would actually break in. And that's why we pray and we invite him and we say, come Holy Spirit, you're what we need. Columbia needs an outbreak of the Holy Spirit. We need people to see Jesus for who he really is. And that comes from the Holy Spirit. I, I just, I'll close here, but in some ways it feels weird that we're doing this series right now. There's so much going on around the world and there's like, I mean, oh my gosh, there's, there's politics, there's sickness, there's just so many things that are happening. In a lot of ways, it'd be really easy to take a step back and be really defensive and just say, um, hey, here's, here's five steps on how to do this. Here's five steps on how to navigate this. But we want to be offensive we know that our deeper need is not for just policies and things to be fixed because we know our deeper opposition is not just this world, but we have a spirit world above us that's fighting against us. So our need isn't for better practicalities, but our need is for a deeper power source. So unless we see what we're up against, we don't draw from the source of power that God has blessed us with, what he calls power from on high. So I just want to leave us with that, that the Lord is inviting us to experience more power in and through prayer. Let's pray.